I, uh, I want to try to help you tonight, and um, uh, my wife and I are here because we want to be a help. I'm not here because I know a lot about church planning, but I am here because we've started six churches, and uh, just um, the church I pastor now, we've just started our seventh church. Uh, we wanted to, uh, we live in a city of Orlando, Florida, about 1.2 million people, and uh, we wanted to make sure that we got the gospel to the whole community. So we took some of our men from our church, some of our staff men, and uh, sent them out to another part of the city uh, to start knocking doors and starting a church. And, and uh, God has blessed that. So I hope there will be a help today. Let me say this. Uh, why is it that Ireland needs churches? Let me. You may not know this. I, I'm going to try to help you with this a little bit. Uh, I'm a pastor from America. I work with a mission group around the world. Primarily, I work in India. Uh, but I don't know if anybody's told you this. I don't know if anybody's broken, if anybody's broken the news to you, uh, but Ireland's considered a mission field. Now, I know you're at home, but I've got to tell you that it's my heart's desire to send missionaries to Ireland. And when they come here, they need to have good churches to work to and work with. One of, one of the ministries I oversee is the broadcasting ministry on the radio. What we do is we broadcast the word of God. And then when someone hears the Bible and they want more information, they call 1-800-23-BIBLE anywhere in the world. And then we locate missionaries in that country to go work with the people that are calling for information. We get hundreds of calls a month, hundreds from all over the world. We've actually financed and built uh, about 86 churches in India and one of the Ukraine. This church must be consumed with the idea of planting other churches or you will not reach the people of Ireland. This is a tremendous church and you have a tremendous pastor and a tremendous work and he has an amazing family. But this church alone cannot reach the nation of Ireland. It is not physically possible. The only way to reach a nation is by church planting. You might remember Jesus had the idea with his disciples. Paul had the idea in the book of Acts. And it's about time, thousands of years later, that the local church got the same idea. I want to help you tonight. I want to help you this week. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. I will not keep you long. Uh, that may make some of you nervous. Uh, because long in my book could be just about anything. Uh, you're looking at a fellow who set the Guinness World Record for having preached the longest sermon. That's not a joke. I preached 28 hours straight, 32 sermons in 28 hours. And uh, the good news is that I'm not going to try to preach another 28 hours. The bad news is I've decided to break a record so we're going to go for about 32 tonight, and it should be fun. I hope you are all got lots of time for that. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 1. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go... By the way, that seems to be the life verse of many Baptists today. 
See that thou tell no man. It seems that far too many churches, our pastor is out soul winning on Tuesday while the staff sits home and watches the ball game. Got awful quiet in here. It seems in far too many churches, the church members that sing to the glory of God on Sunday morning don't talk about the glory of God during the rest of the week. Unfortunately, in many churches across the world, church members have adopted this verse, see thou tell no man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is not what that verse means. That is taken out of context. God intends every single one of us who name the name of Jesus to take the gospel on an hourly, daily basis to a lost and dying world. You say, well, they won't listen. I guarantee you that the more people you talk to, the more people that will listen. And that if you're talking to nobody, they're not going to listen to you. That wasn't in my sermon, but I didn't want to forget it before I go home or get thrown out. See thou tell no man, but go thy way, shew thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Watch this. Verse 6, Matthew 8. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Boy, you know what? Wouldn't that be a great verse for church members to adopt? Wouldn't that be a great verse for someone on a church staff to adopt? Wouldn't it be wonderful for somebody who serves in the local church to adopt? That when God calls my preacher to lead us as the pastor, if the pastor says, go, I go. And if he says, come with me, I go with him. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not bless a church unless a church gets behind the pastor. Now, let me say this. That deserved a lot more amens right about there. You say, oh, the pastor just wants to be God. No, in fact, the pastor is God's called man to the local church. It is a great honor and privilege to have a good pastor in your church. I have been a pastor for 30 years. Every single day of my life, I deal with missionaries and pastors. Right this moment, just one of the groups that I work with and train in India. Now listen, one of the groups of churches in 2011, had an attendance of 2.1 million people in their church services. I'm saying that I deal with a lot of pastors, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors. I am here to tell you, Brother O'Gorman and I do not go back many, many years. We go back a few months. But I'm going to tell you something. God has put a gift in the middle of this church. You are fortunate to have a pastor like Brother O'Gorman. He has not said one word about this church other than a blessing. He has not said, oh, this church needs it. What he has said was, this is a church. God put me here. I love the people here. I believe God's going to do something. What your pastor needs more than anything right now is a group of men and ladies in this church to get behind their pastor and say, I tell people what to do and where to go. You say, but he's not God. No, but he is God's called man. 
God put your pastor in place, just like he put in me in my place. It is not your job to put him in his place. It's God's job to help you stand with your pastor. By the way, it has nothing to do with my sermon, but before you throw me out or I get on the plane and leave, let me remind you of this. The Bible says that we are to obey them that have the rule over us, for they watch for our souls, that they may not do it with grief. It isn't smart to give a pastor a hard time. You say, what did he say to you? He doesn't have to. I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've been given grief and heartache and bitterness. And one day a church member will shake my hand and say, God bless you. And an hour later, they're blessing me out, as we say in the United States. I'm saying tonight, you are very fortunate to have your pastor. And I don't want this week to go by without pointing that out to you. Do not make the error of many churches that I see around the world. And that is to disregard or discount the man that God put here for you. He didn't ask me to say that. I am telling you, you benefit. Listen now, you benefit by standing with your pastor. And say, Pastor, teach us your doctrine. Teach us the faith of the Word of God. Teach us the truths of the Word of God. Teach us how to raise a family like you have. You'll benefit from that. Once again, not in my notes, but it was in the verse, so I thought I'd address it while we're there. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Isn't it amazing that a man that works for a centurion would be more willing to do what the leader said than some people who go to church? I just thought I'd leave that one there for you to think about too. You say, I don't like you. That's okay. This is not American Idol. This isn't dancing with the uh, stars. At the end of the night, there's not a vote. Worst thing that can happen to me is at the end of the week, I get in a plane or I get in a train and I go down to Wicklow Town. And I follow up on the 17 adults that got saved last October when our team went through Wicklow. That's the worst thing that can happen to me. You say, well, I'm not going to come and hear you preach. So then I suggest that I get it all out tonight in case you decide not to come back. Be careful what you pray for, you may get it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now let me, let me show this to you because I was sharing with my wife. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Because in verse 10, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abram and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast in outer darkness. There shall be weeping, gnashing of teeth. But wait a minute. Before Jesus gets into this and the stealing of the waters and the, uh, the calling of Matthew, what does he say in verse 10 about the centurion? He says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read the scripture in Matthew 8, I think it took some pretty, pretty big faith for the leper to ask God to heal him of the leprosy. You see, you're looking at a preacher who has spent much time around lepers in India. 
I have preached in the camps. I have worked with the lepers. And it is a grievous, terrible disease. It's, it's a, it, you just can't imagine. Matter of fact, brother, when I saw that picture of that leg, I instantly, I instantly had a flashback to leper camps because that's what it looks like to me. Except imagine the fingers gone and the toes gone and limbs falling off and hanging. This leper had that very condition and he said, Jesus, I have this condition. Please heal me. Now watch, Jesus healed him. It would be very easy to say, oh, that's great faith. But ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that I long for and pray for every day of my life, and have been so excited to have the opportunity to preach here. Let me share this with you. Jesus did not say that the leper who was healed of this disease had great faith. He said the centurion had great faith. Have you ever thought about that? Centurion didn't have a disease. Centurion didn't have leprosy. In fact, the Bible says the centurion... Honestly, didn't have anything at all that he was working on. You see, the leopard had the leper had a need. The leopard had faith. The leper asked Jesus. Jesus heals the leper. And I must admit, I'm happy for the leper. Having known lepers and preaching to lepers, I am happy when I read this passage of Scripture and understand that he was healed. Amen? It's wonderful. If you had a terrible disease and you were healed, you'd be grateful too. I'm glad for the man. But I keep reading my Bible. And I'm trying to figure out what is it that the centurion did that would cause Jesus himself to say, I've never seen such great faith. So I keep reading. Go to verse. Go back to verse 5 of Matthew 8. And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion had a need. The leper had a need. The centurion had faith. The leper had faith. The centurion asked Jesus for help. The leper did. The leper received an answer. The centurion received an answer. Both were blessed greatly. Both believed God and trusted God. But yet if you go to verse 10 again of Matthew 8, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, verily or truly I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Interesting. Interesting. Until you read Matthew 8 verse 2, please follow along and watch. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And now if you go to the same chapter, verse 6, regarding the centurion, verse 6 says, And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Ladies and gentlemen, I think without any doubt in my mind that the reason Jesus said that the centurion had such great faith, he had not seen such faith, 
was because the leper was asking something of God for himself. And the centurion was asking something of God for others. We're just a prayer away from asking God for things for us. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I ask the Lord my soul to take. If you think about it, it's one of the most selfish prayers we could ever teach a child to pray. I'd like to count it with you. Now I lay me down to sleep. I ask the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I ask the Lord my soul to take. Seven times in one child's prayer, we ask God for something that I need. I would contend tonight that all across the world we have churches filled with people Praying for what they need. It's interesting to me that Pastor O'Gorman did not ask me to come tonight and preach something that would fire up your church. It's not what he asked for. He didn't say, I want you to come and raise the offering. Never mentioned it. He said, please come and preach a message that will focus us on missions but will also focus us on starting other churches. By the way, you will not gain financially from starting other churches, it will cost you money. You will not gain people from starting other churches. It will cost you people. The fact is, Jesus said, I've seen great faith, not in the leper who needed something for himself, although I'm glad he got prayer answered, and I'm glad God helped him. But if you want to pray a prayer that will be a blessing to the heart of God, stop praying for yourself and start praying for others. You can't preach that message in any other context. Because without a doubt, Jesus had the ability after verse 2 to say, Oh, a leper with a terrible disease has asked to be healed. I've never seen such great faith. That's not when he said it. He didn't say it until after the centurion did not ask for himself, but asked for somebody else. And by the way, let me say this. The centurion asked for something that someone else needed, even though that was not going to be something that was going to help the centurion. He wasn't a member of the centurion's family. He was a, he was a worker. Workers were a dime a dozen. The centurion, because he was a man of great authority, could have gone out and said, okay, I need three more, replace him. No, this man mattered to him. I want to ask you a question tonight. Would you like to have faith that would honor God? Let's start praying for other people. If you would go to Luke chapter 11 and verse number 5. Luke 11 and verse number 5. Luke 11 verse 5. And he said, by the way, when talking about prayer, let me, let me, not, mention, uh, let me not fail to mention this. In reference to prayer... When talking about prayer and how to teach the disciples to pray, Jesus tells this story. Let me go ahead and go to verse 1. We've got some time. Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, 
Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In answer to a question. When they came and said, teach us to pray. Jesus said, when ye pray, say our Father which art in heaven. But go to verse 5. And then Jesus says this. And he said unto them. Which of you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And then the Bible goes on and, and says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that's a father, and so on. Wonderful passage of Scripture. But here's what I want to focus on tonight. In the book of Matthew, chapter 8, a leper with a terrible disease has an opportunity to talk to Jesus face to face. And rather than praying for somebody else, the leper says, I need this. Different case, different man, same Jesus, same opportunity, face to face. The man doesn't pray for something he needs. He prays for something somebody else needs. And God says, I've never seen such great faith. Now you go to Luke 11 where Jesus is asked to be taught, how do we pray? And Jesus uses this example, and now he gives this illustration, and he says unto them, which of you have a friend who when the friend comes to visit, you realize you don't have any bread? And you go to your neighbor's house, and you say to your neighbor, I don't have any bread to give to my friend who's come to visit. And the neighbor says, go away, go away. Now watch, I think I'm going to help you with this. And the man goes back to his house. And he goes to walk inside of the house and he sees his friend that has come to visit. And he realizes he still has no bread to give to him. So he walks across the street perhaps, maybe next door. Goes over to the friend's house, the neighbor's house and knocks on the door. You can picture his neighbor friend inside the house. Oh, brother, it's midnight. What does he want now? And the man says, look, my friend came to visit and I don't have anything to feed him. You all with me? I don't have anything to give him. And the neighbor says, go away. Go away. Do you know what time it is? You're waking my wife and children up. So the man whose friend has come to visit, who has no bread, goes back home. And he sees his friend with no bread. I'm demonstrating what Scripture teaches. So he goes back to his friend's house. And he knocks on the door. And the neighbor says, I can't believe this. This guy just won't let up. 
I don't have any bread that I'm going to give you. I may have bread, but I'm not giving it to you. And the man says, but look, my friend has come to visit on a long journey. I don't have anything to give him. And his friend says, okay, fine. Here's the bread. Just take it and go. By the way, I'm giving it to you because you keep asking me. So I'm going to give it to you. This is the illustration that Jesus himself taught. So I would suggest this is a big deal. Man goes back home. Walks in the house and gives his friend bread all happy and content because he got bread. Follow me here and let this be a blessing to you. I think this is a tremendous lesson for a church who wants to do something for missions to learn. This is a tremendous blessing for a church that would want to start other churches. This is a tremendous blessing for somebody who's trying to deal with things in their life and, and needs to get off of self and at some point get on to the, the needs of other people. Watch this. The friends at home. The friend comes from a distance and visits. So far, so good. I have no bread. He goes next door. He knocks on the door. Ladies and gentlemen, at what point did the man have no bread? At what point did the man go ask for bread? If you'll read scripture very carefully, you will learn that before the friend came, there was no bread. It wasn't that all of a sudden the friend came from the distance to visit. Oh, I don't have any bread. He had no bread before the friend came to visit. This man did not go to the neighbor to get bread until somebody else needed the bread. I would contend Jesus is talking about the importance of prayer. Yes, it's importunity and keep going back. Yes, it's knowing that you're praying for the right thing. But even more importantly, I believe the magic, if you want to call it that, the secret, the specialness, the wonderfulness of prayer is not in going to God and saying, God, I need bread. It's in going to God and saying, my friend needs bread. Because that man needed bread just as much before the visitor came. Amen? He, he didn't have bread when he came to visit. And he didn't go ask for the bread until his friend needed the bread. Would God give us a church full of people who will get on their knees tonight and put your cares aside, and your need for bread aside, and your concerns aside, and tonight come and get on your knees and say, I have a pastor who needs my prayer, and I have a pastor's family who I need to stand with, and I have a church that needs me to help, and I have a community that needs the gospel, and I have a country that's dying and going to hell, and I may not have it so good right now, but God has the hairs numbered on my head, and God knows what my needs are, but tonight I'm going to start praying for others. And I promise you, based upon the word of God, God will say, I've never seen such great faith. It's easy to pray for yourself. It's difficult to pray for others. About two years ago, on a Sunday morning, I was notified by a lady in our church that that afternoon she was going to leave her husband and three children and never come back. I was stunned. I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't believe it. 
She had met another man at work, actually at college. And she said, I'm going to leave. And this is a Sunday right after church. She said, I'm leaving my husband. I'm leaving my three wonderful students in our Christian school. Her husband actively serving the Lord. She said, I've met a man. I'm going to leave him. I haven't told him yet. But but right after church, I just want to let you know I'm gone. I'm out of here. I didn't know what to do. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If she had left, I would have been concerned for her, but it wasn't going to affect me. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't going to affect the offering. She gave, but it wasn't going to affect the offering. She was faithful to church, but if she went, it wasn't like I was going to split the church or anything. But I started to think about her need and the family members that she was trying to reach. And I thought about her husband who was trying to live for the Lord. And I thought about her three children at our Christian school. And God impressed upon my heart to start something that night that would revolutionize my prayer life. I went and preached a sermon that night. Actually, what I said to her was, I said, will you do some one thing for me? If you've ever listened to me as your pastor, will you do this one thing? And she said, yes, I'll do one more thing for you. What do you want me to do? By the way, can I say this? Isn't it sad that Christianity has gotten to the point that a woman in adultery leaving the church will do one more thing for her pastor when you have people who actively go to church that don't listen to a thing that he says? I just want you to mull that one over. Think about that one for a while. She said, yes, I'll do one more thing, preacher. What do you want me to do? I said, come to church tonight. She said, you're going to preach about me. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to preach. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit preach at you. But I'm not preaching at you. I said, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to say a word to your husband or children. She said, all right, I'll be there tonight. Our, our evening service is at 630. 630 at night, she was, actually, she arrived early, which made me a little nervous. I thought she was going to walk out on him, really, during church. I got into the pulpit, preached a message. Nothing special, didn't preach at her, didn't even address the issue. Matter of fact, I remember what I preached. I preached a message called, Get On or Off the Bus. It's about people in our city who can't decide if they're going to get on the bus or off the bus, and they kind of stand in the door and slow everybody else up. I don't know if that happens in Dublin, but that happens in our city all the time. And you're behind me like, get on the bus, get off the bus. And I said, isn't that like a lot of double-minded Christians who are unstable in all their ways? They, they, we have a song in America called the Hokey Pokey. Anybody hear that? You put your left foot in, your left foot out. That's like a lot of Christians. They're in church, out of church. Into soul winning, out of soul winning. Into giving, out of giving. Listen, we got to quit playing hokey pokey in the church and get on the bus or off the bus. That's what I preached about. Never addressed adultery, meeting a man at school, nothing. Got all done. Invitation came. She did not move. And I said, this is not good. Service is over. And I said to my wife, I know what I'm going to do. She said, what are you going to do? I said, see the Baptist in, in our church. Our church looks a lot like this, but um, over in this corner is a room to go to the baptistry for the ladies. And on this side is the baptistry for the men. I said to my wife, what I'm going to do, I said, as soon as church is over, about eight thirty, nine o'clock, 
I'm going to go into the baptistry room and I'm going to pray until God gives victory. Two and a half days later, I came out of that room and learned that she had changed her mind and was not going to leave her husband. Today, he's one of my deacons. Today, he has surrendered to full-time Christian service. Today, he is waiting for his preacher to direct him to a mission field where he can go. Today, his wife is absolutely on fire and has been trained to counsel along with my wife with many of the other ladies in the church. I could have gone into that room and said, Lord, if she leaves, it's going to be a scandal for me in the church. God, if she leaves, it's going to affect our school. If she Listen to me. I went in there and it didn't make any difference to me, really physically speaking, what happened to her. I was going to be fine. Amen? But spiritually speaking, it was going to matter to her and matter to her husband and matter to her kids and matter to her father and matter to her sister. And I got on my knees and for two and a half days, it's not about me. It's about learning the lesson of the centurion who could have prayed for him, but chose to pray for others. It's about the man in Luke who could have said, I need bread now, but waited until he needed it for others. God taught me a lesson about prayer, and I saw him answer that in a dramatic way. This lady and her wife came to me not too much, a couple weeks after, and said, we need counseling. And I said, yes, you do. You sure do. My wife and I counsel our, our ladies and our couples together. They came into the office. And here's what she said. She said, Pastor, I've given that up. What do I need to do? And I said, here's what you need to do. And I wrote out a list. By the end of that week, she had done every single thing on that list. Totally broke it off with the man. Withdrew from college. Changed locations of campuses. Everything on the list. And here's what she said. She said, I just want to do right. I just want to... Listen, here's the point of this. That doesn't happen without prayer. That doesn't happen without somebody getting on their knees and saying, God, please help this woman. Listen, you can go home tonight and say, Oh, Brother Frazier's saying he's a great prayer warrior. I'm not a great prayer warrior. But when it comes for praying, when it comes to praying for other people, that's the most fun you're ever going to have in your prayer life. Is there someone here tonight will get on their knees in just a few minutes and stop praying for you? You say, but but aren't I supposed to tell God the desires of my heart? Okay, if you want to. It's more fun having other people pray for me. In my emails, it's only Wednesday. In my emails this week, I have email after email after email after email from members of my church saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Praying for you. Don't forget, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Tell the people in Ireland we love them. Can't wait to see them in October. We're praying for you. Praying for you. Every time I go to India, listen, every time, I go there a lot. Every time I go to preach in India, the people of my church get together and pray for me every hour, nonstop, of every day that I'm gone. Do you know what that means? 
That means from the minute I get on the airplane in Orlando until the minute I come back home and arrive at church, someone from my church has been awake 24 hours a day and they take turns the whole time. That means no matter where I am and what I'm doing on the trip, one member of my church is up praying for me. Morning, noon, and night. You know why? They've learned that the centurion was recognized as having great faith when he prayed for somebody else. You say, this is a missions conference. We're talking about missions. Really? Missions? William Booth of the Salvation Army wasn't able to make it to a meeting one day. So he decided to send a telegraph. And back then it was very expensive to send a telegraph. So he decided he was going to save some money. And the secretary stood up before the convention and said, we have a word from our founder tonight. And I'd like to read his telegraph to you. And they opened the envelope and read the telegraph. And here's what General Booth said. Others. That was it. Ladies and gentlemen, I've come from the United States on this first night of the conference to say this. Others. You say, I've got problems. If you have problems and you're going to heaven, you don't have a problem. You say, I'm sick. Okay, if you die, you go to heaven. You win. That's a problem. You say, but I have a need. Okay, great. God doesn't know what that is. Now, I want to clarify something. I'm a stickler for doctrine. And am I saying that you should not pray for yourself? No. I'm saying, tell God what you need. Understand he already knows and move on. I'm simply suggesting you spend more time praying for others than you do for yourself. Well, well, how are my needs going to be met? Well, if, if Miss Bethany over here is praying for Mrs. Frazier, and Mrs. Frazier is praying for Miss Hannah, and Miss Hannah's praying for Miss Flo, there's no need for them to spend days and weeks at a time praying for themselves because they're praying for others. It's in the Bible. The man didn't ask for bread until somebody else needed it. Do I believe in prayer? Absolutely. Do I believe that we should pray? We're commanded to. Do I believe that our prayer should be wrapped up in me, 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 me? Absolutely not. It's unbiblical. I'm happy for the leper. But I'm excited for the prayer of the centurion. We have a lot to learn in Luke 11. And I want to conclude tonight by asking you this. Are you living for others? And and, and let me be real clear here. When I'm talking about praying for others, I'm not saying pray for people to be blessed so they can be a blessing to you. That's a great trick in the the mission world. I, I travel a lot. In the mission field, the, the, and, and by the way, I'm not only a pastor, but I'm a missionary. In the mission field, it's very easy to be in the jungle of India. I was sharing with, uh, with Brother O'Gorman my last trip to India. Uh, we usually, the, where I work, we usually go with a bodyguard. It sounds like our brother over here could have used one. I, I have some names and numbers. I'll, I'll get them for you. But, but where we go, we go with bodyguards. And uh, the last place I worked was in an area controlled by the terrorists. 
where they'll actually take pastors and tie them to trees and leave them to be eaten by Bengal tigers. Not kidding, that's the area we work in. Well, we were, we were in this one location, and we're driving at night, and the, the national pastor pulled over the side of the road, and he said, I forgot this morning to give you instructions on what to do when you get kidnapped. And he didn't say if you, he said when you. <laughs> you say, did you pray? Yes. Did you pray for you? No, I didn't pray for myself. You say, who'd you pray for? Dear God, please make my bodyguard the biggest, meanest person you ever met in your whole life. I pray that you'll give him a really big gun with a lot of bullets. I pray that his car drives really fast. I pray that he is... No. That's not the way to pray. You don't pray for somebody so they can be a blessing to you. By the way, the rest of that story is they pulled us over the side of the road because they had to check for roadside bombs. That's the area. It's real easy to pray for you. And on the mission field, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of it. Brother, you, you've been through things I'll never experience. Things I don't want to experience. And I'm not minimizing at all the danger that missionaries live with. I'm simply saying the danger is. The danger is to pray for others only so they can be a blessing to you. Amen? That is true. Dear God, I pray that you'll be with my boss. Really, that's not what you mean. You mean I pray you'll be with my boss so he makes a lot of money so he can give me a raise. That's not good praying. And that's not good. That's not good. Are you living for others? Are you praying for others? Are you giving for others? You say, oh, but but Brother Frazier... I just don't know this, this living for others and praying for others. How does that turn out? One story. We close. I hope you come back tomorrow night. My wife and I are students at college. God laid on our heart to go start what would be the first of six or seven churches. God made it very clear that we were to go back to a, the smallest state in the United States, Rhode Island. Rhode Island is smaller than some of your counties here in Ireland. That's how little it is. One million total people live in that state. So picture Dublin as a state, just just one state. So we went uh, to Rhode Island, and um, we arrived one day, and we had taken every dime we had, literally every penny we had, to get to Rhode Island. We had just enough money to maybe have two months worth of rent to to rent a place to stay, some fuel and food money, two babies, no job, no support. We show up in Rhode Island. We couldn't find a place to live for three weeks. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we begged God and we said, God, we need a place to stay. Please open up a door. Please lead us to a place. Nothing for three weeks. One day, we're going down a road, and my wife says, how about that house right over there? I said, we could not afford to live there. She said, well, let's stop and find out. So we pulled in. Turned out we could afford to live there. It had just become open, and they said, we'd love to have you live here. We moved in, probably over the weekend. Now it's Monday, and the days matter. It's now a Monday morning. We're moved into the house. I said to my wife, well, bless God. We're here to live for others. We're here to pray for others. We've taken everything we have to start this church. Today, I'm going to go soul winning. Today's the day we start the church. Oh, we were so excited. 
I walked out the front door of the house. I had my New Testament. I had a stack of tracts with no information on it other than the gospel because I didn't know when we were going to meet, where we were going to meet, nothing. All I knew is how to lead somebody to Christ and that God wanted me in that town. I walk across this. Well, I get down the end of my drive, get down the end of the sidewalk and instantly became fearful. And I turned around and went back in the house and went to bed and stayed there till Tuesday morning. I was so gripped by fear. Now I think about it and it's so funny. But then I couldn't get a word out of my mouth. I was so afraid. Went back home, went to bed. Tuesday morning, woke up. My wife said, I said to my wife, I said, I'm, I'm just afraid to go soul winning. I know how I've been doing it. I don't understand what the problem is. She said, I said, well, where should I start? She said, well, just go next door. Just go to our neighbor's house. Fine. We had been praying for others. We had given everything we had. The least I could do was honor my wife by going next door and witness to one person after all that effort. Amen. She prays for me and asks the Lord to lead me to people that needed the gospel. I kiss her goodbye. I kiss my children goodbye. I write them letters, call them on the phone, make movies and videos, anything to not have to go. At some point, this is embarrassing. A grown man, a preacher of the gospel, fully dressed for action. Tracks in the pocket, pen sticking out, glasses ready to go, New Testament, follow-up material, discipleship books, afraid to go literally to my next-door neighbor. I look and my wife's praying in the window. And I can see her praying and asking God to help me. Because our town needed the gospel. It was not about us. We were going to be fine. But there was, listen, no gospel preaching church in that town, period. When we moved to that state, in the whole state, there were only four churches that preached the gospel. Four. I turn around, I look at my wife. It's the long goodbye. I walk across the street. You know what that's like. You knock very lightly hoping they won't hear you. <laughs> so this way you can tell the preacher that you went door knocking, but you didn't have to actually talk to anybody. My next door neighbor had good hearing. She opened the door, and here's what she said. It's about time. I said, what do you mean? She said, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to get over here. She said, what happened yesterday? I said, what are you talking about? She said, you started down the driveway, you headed over here, then you turned around and went home. I didn't see you the rest of the day. I said, well, I went to bed. Great. You are the new preacher, right? I said, yeah. How'd you know that? She said, well, everybody in town said there's a new preacher in town. He's starting a church. I was wondering when you're going to come over to your neighbor's house. <laughs> oh, man. She says, let me ask you a question. I look in the window and my wife's still praying for me so that we can get the gospel of this town. I'm trying to show you that when you pray for others, God will take care of you. She said, let me ask you a question. I said, sure. Anything you'd like. She said, if you were to die today, 
do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, ma'am, Mrs. McKenzie, I'm a preacher. And she said, wrong answer. (laughs) She said, let me show you what the Bible says. And she reaches over and takes my New Testament. You talk about being humbled. She takes my New Testament, starts at Romans 3. I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. You misunderstand. She said, that's the wrong answer. You don't go to heaven because you're a preacher. You don't go to heaven because of good works. I said, I know. You go to heaven because of Christ. She said, well, how come you didn't? Why was that not your first answer? I said, I don't know. She said, come in my house and let's have some tea. Well, this is the U.S. We don't have good tea. We have iced tea. I don't know why they ruin good tea like that. I go in. My wife's watching me from the window. I go in the house and I sit down. She opens her Bible and says, what do you believe about salvation? And I told her, she said, well, what verses do you base that belief on? I'm giving you an illustration of when you pray for others, God will take care of you. Next question, eternal security. Do you believe that once you're saved, you're saved forever? I said, absolutely. She said, show me and prove it to me. Okay. I felt like I was at my ordination again. Except this time I got a lady preacher. Read through the, all, give her all the verses. She said, what do you believe about lordship salvation? I said, an unsaved person cannot make Jesus Lord of their life. That's impossible. I said, as a matter of fact, the Bible says, and in that day, many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I said to her, we are saved by grace. We accept him as our savior. And then later on, once we're saved, we acknowledge him as Lord. I said, I think it's heresy to say we make him Lord of our life. When we get saved, he is Lord of our life. She said, right answer. Next question. What do you believe about tongues? What do you believe about this? Ladies and gentlemen, my wife was there. Six hours of Bible doctrinal questions from the next door neighbor lady. I get all done and she looks at me. Remember, I'm praying that if you'll pray for others, if you'll give to others, God will take care of you. This is my first day soul winning in our new town. She gets all done. There's nothing left of me. I have a headache. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I felt like I'd run a marathon. Everything I knew about the Bible, I told her, which, by the way, try to forget I mentioned it was only six hours. I was a new guy. What did I know? But I told her everything I knew, and she stood up. I'll never forget it. She takes her chair, puts it under the table. She puts her hand out, shakes my hand, and she says, okay, you'll do. I'll do? I said, Mrs. McKenzie... I'm sorry, but I am so confused. I'm not used to Rhode Island. I'm from Connecticut. I went to college in Virginia. I don't know how you do things up here, but ma'am, will you help me out? What are you talking about? She said, you'll do. You'll be all right. I said, all right, what? She said, when does your church start? Then I have to tell her, I have no idea. I said, I don't know. She says, well, where are you going to meet? I don't know. And I see my wife looking out the window and I look at my front yard and I said, we'll meet in my living room. And she says, okay, great. When? Well, this is Tuesday. Remember I said the day matters. This is Tuesday, six hours later. 
And I looked at my watch and I said, seven o'clock tomorrow night, my house. She said, okay, great, but there's a problem. I said, what's that? She said, we won't, I've been in your house and we will not fit in your living room. I said, we, you only have you and your daughter. She said, no, no, no. She said, I've been meeting for a year with 36 other adults, studying the Bible and every day begging God to send us a preacher just like you. We'll be there tomorrow night. And at our first service, 36 people showed up for church, plus my family. And by the way, I didn't mention that they had been saving their tithe Within a year, we were the fastest growing church in Rhode Island. And within five years, we were the fastest growing church in all of New England. It's kind of interesting that if you'll pray for others, God knows what you need. If you'll be concerned about others, he'll take care of you. I wonder if God is speaking to somebody tonight as we close. And I wonder if there's one or ten people that will come tonight And get, listen, I would expect that tonight this altar would be, I expect this altar to be filled tonight with men and women and young people who will come and get on their knees and say, God, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about you. It's about your work. If everything goes wrong with me, I end up in heaven. If everything goes wrong with the lost person, they go to hell forever. I would expect and ask people to come tonight And get on the altar and say, God, I'm praying for others. I'm praying for missions around the world. I'm praying for this brother. I'm praying for this conference. Tonight I'm going to pray for uh, for, uh, Wicklow Town. I'm going to pray for for Arklow. And I'm praying for Dublin. I'm praying for church planning. And tonight I'm going to come and pray for my pastor. And tonight I'm not going to ask for one thing for myself. I'm going to come tonight and I'm going to pour my heart out to God for others. And I promise you, if you'll do that, based upon the word, he knows what your need is. He'll take care of you. You'll be all right for tonight. You'll be okay. He knows what you need. The Bible says, and while you're yet praying, he'll answer. It'll be all right. Will you come tonight and trust God to pray for others? Maybe you're here tonight and if you were to die, you're not sure you'd go to heaven. The Bible says you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. And the only way to be saved is to, by faith, turn from your sin and turn by faith to Christ and the finished work of Calvary. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you're, you're saved, you come and shake the pastor's hand and say, I need to be saved. Would someone show me how to be saved? I'm not going to have the piano play. I'm going to do it like I do it in India and at our home church a lot. I'm not going to sing a song. Say, wait a minute, you're going to have an invitation. We're not going to be able to hide behind the hymn book. Mm -hmm. Not going to be able to wait until the 15th verse of the 17th standa of the fourth song of number 322. If you're serious about others, as soon as I pray, you're going to stand up And come forward and get on your knees and pour your heart out to God for somebody else. For a missionary, for church planning, for this church, for someone you know. You say, I pray for others all the time. I'm saying, don't even mention you. I'm saying, come tonight and say, God, give me the faith 
of that centurion. Let's pray. And at the end of this prayer, if you mean business with God, why don't you come? Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, tonight I do pray for others. Dear God, thank you for this church and this pastor that have a vision for the world and a vision for the mission field, even though they are the mission field. Thank you for the vision for church planning that you've laid on this pastor's heart. And I would pray that this first message of the conference would be helpful, that we would realize we're here this week for others. And dear God, if there is one here tonight who is not saved, that tonight they would come and trust you. And dear God, with every eye closed and every head bowed, touch the hearts of people to come tonight and pray for others. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you come and pray for others?